Do you know I play like bells? Those same bells, ding, 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 ding. If I put bells underneath our tune, sort of give it a little. Peers in, and then we make them feel left out for having not. Do you know about the marketing technique they did to Kendall Jenner? So loads of like beauty brands realize that if they go straight to Kendall Jenner and say, "How much do you charge for a for a brand thing?" They'll go like, "Oh, it's like five hundred thousand." Her team will say, "Oh, it's five hundred thousand dollars." So what they did is they found out all of Kendall Jenner's friends who are like much smaller influencers, and they sent them all the beauty product for free. And then Kendall Jenner asked the company for the product for free and she ended up having it anyway. Brilliant. Isn't that genius? That's really smart. So Kendall Jenner then feels left out and she's like, oh, I'm Kendall Jenner. Why don't I have the product? But then she sends an email be like, can I have it? And they're like, yeah, of course, we'll send you one for free instead of like, here's 500 grand to talk about it. That's that's good. That's smart. Mm. Well done. The power of FOMO. Just making these poor women feel incompetent. There's one that's really funny. Have you seen the clip? We find it funny in architecture circles because it's it's about when... um, the mum, or is it Chris Jenner or whatever, is like, I'm reading a book at the moment. It's about an architect. It's about look it's about Le Cavassier. Not true. There's a very famous architect called Le Cabussier. Oh, right. And uh, she's like, Le Cavassier, which is the drink, mm. she's like, which is an architect. And, and she's like, You haven't read that book. I have. It's boring, but fascinating. She's like, You haven't read it? What are you talking about? What? This building was built and so it's it's just really, really funny. I world. did enjoy the architectural unpacking of our very so, brief comment. Everything's going. Oh, we're rolling. Look at Go I'm sorry. The architectural unpacking of our brief yeah. uh, history of uh, Edinburgh architecture. We had a very good, um, sorry, I was still setting up, but we yeah. had a very good comment out? from, I am going to read it out yeah. about, because you had a point about the, we were talking about you would. The, the I, I referenced sort of the fact that Edinburgh seems to have retained a lot of its yes. older architectural styles that a lot of London seems to be lacking. Well, it's more the, which is a super broad stroke. And I think I wasn't I wasn't prepared to go in. into it. And then Mystic Mimi Twenty One <laughs> jumped in with, I believe, one of the significant factors that differentiate London from Edinburgh. And whoa, hang on, you've oiled it. That's just loose. You've just never loosened. No, it. it's tight. You've actually oiled the microphone. I've not oiled shit. You have, James. Or, or you've got my one. No, they've not moved. That is back up. You've, you've done something I've to not that. done anything. I've not, wow. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, Mystic Mimi 21 says, I believe one of the significant features that differentiate <laughs> London from Edinburgh slash Glasgow is partially that Gothic architecture was very popular in Scotland, likewise in London, but the style remained more neoclassical due to it being mm. the capital and leaders wanted to... Wanted co- to wanted connotations with antiquity. Moreover, as mentioned, London has been a capital in manner or another, um, but either the actual country's capital or the cultural capital um, since pre-Roman times, whereas Edinburgh became, bu- became a built-up city in one area, so the architecture reflects the time that it, that it became a wealthy city. Yes, that's very true. Whereas London has always had the wealth, so it is a mismatch, mismatch patchwork city. Mm. As London prioritised places of work rather than domestic settlement, that the type of uh, architecture shifted to. Yeah, but, yeah basically... Yeah. yeah. So yeah. But thanks, Mister Mimi. No, yeah, I, cool. I, basically, yeah, I, I get you there. Um, if you are smarter than us in any capacity, fill in our gaps, please. please Always want do. that. We 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 don't claim to know anything. No, we just claim to sort of get things done. We just now, watch things a lot. I wanted to begin this episode with like a personal thing to me. I saw this on the news earlier, mm. and I was like, I don't know whether to mention this on the show, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it do because it. it's personal to me. Mm-hmm. Now, James, I. 
you and I both are straight white men. So being the idea of being okay. seen or being re- represented is, is like not really a thing for us because mm. we are overrepresented by culture. Mm-hmm. A, a white privileged, heterosexualized, patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I, we're covered. We're covered, right? Fewer battles to fight. But I saw something today and I was like, fuck me. I, I feel like I have a special connection to Louis Theroux because today there was a news article that says Louis uh, yeah, Theroux shaves off his eyebrows due to alopecia. Mm, now, people, I I've never talked about this on the show, but I had alopecia slash have alopecia. That's why if you watch the show regularly, I don't really have any eyebrows. I've been getting some more. I've been letting them kind of sort of grow out of the past few months to try and see if I can fill the gaps. <laughs> yeah. But it's still very patchy. And uh, I used to have, I, I had hair. Then I lost all my hair when I was 17. Then it came back. What a miracle. Some people never get their hair back. Then I lost it again. I remember that. And then it came back again. Yeah. I, it's one of those things. And obviously some people never get their hair back, which is you know terrible and, but, and, and very hard. Um, it's not terrible. It's very hard. But um, I came back. But my eyebrows never came back, except for like weeds, like threadbare. And, and I've always just shaved them down because I just thought, well, as Louis Theroux says about his it's eyebrows. Good thing you're just incredibly expressive. Like you, you don't need them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Louis Theroux says... Um, I'd rather have no eyebrows than patchy eyebrows. And there's true enough, there's pictures of him. And I, mm. and I look at Louis Theroux and just getting back to the idea of like representation, I, I looked at him and I was like, I feel completely seen. I have yeah. never had someone, I've met people with alopecia. Yes. Like, I get that. But I've never had someone who, like Louis Theroux, has his hair, has his facial hair, but has patchy eyebrows yeah, and weird, has the needed it? to shave them down. And I'm telling you, Louis, if you're listening to this, which you won't be, but if you are, you look great. <laughs> <laughs> and fantastic without them. Yeah, you do. And, you know, it's actually got me thinking that, you know, I've enjoyed growing mine out a little bit, but I will probably shave them back down again because I like this sort of clean, clean look. But Louis, darling, don't worry. You, who knew that I had so much in common with him? Isn't that great that he posts about something that's very specific? I mean, it, it, I, when I saw, read some stuff on it, they showed how common it is for people to have alopecia yeah. in different forms and it manifests in different ways. But just for that, but him to say, I have this bit, but not this bit, yeah. that just, him having the platform that he does and obviously the success that he has in media and on television is such a thing to use now. Be like, oh great, I feel so heard and so yeah, seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just thought, I... I didn't know. I thought mine was just a leftover thing, but I'm looking at a picture of Louis Theroux and I'm like, when, when he, from last month when he yeah. had pre-shaving his eyebrows, and I was like, you know, Louis, you look, you look a bit like me. Anyway, so there you go, everyone. Mm. I so, but you're right. I continue to express. Yeah, it's the it's the eyebrow, <laughs> it's the forehead wrinkle. I've never wondered like, what does George really think of yeah. that? I wish he would just exclaim uh, a bit more. Also, <laughs> I'll say this about eyebrows. Um, you don't fucking need them. Okay, no, people no. say to me like, yeah. oh, well, what, what if the sweat goes in your eyes? As someone who hasn't had eyebrows for no, 10 years, happens. you don't need them. You <laughs> I, don't I, need I them. I assumed we needed them, yeah. Honestly. And people, Dust, wind? No. Nothing. Getting in. Eyelashes, so my eyelashes came back. Think, that was is cool. Is it like a Neanderthal thing, like the heavy brow that hangs over? You know, sort of like old, mm. like pre, pre-homo sapien. Is that what it is? You know, where they have, you have really prominent foreheads where there's more Maybe, of a hangover over the eyes. Um... Do not, do not quote me on this. Yeah, yeah, do not, no, I don't, I, I, I don't know, James. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. That concludes Hair Corner for the, for the month. Um, how are you? Yeah, fine, I'm done with the year. Oh, you know, tell me about, I'm just I, done I literally went into work the other day. I wasn't in a bad mood. I was happy to see everyone, mm. but I started talking to someone. They were like, how are you doing? And I said, look, I'm here. I said, I'm here. I'm physically in the office, but mentally I'm three weeks ago. I'm not present yeah. with you, okay? And I'm in a very much a, nobody fucking talk to me. Nobody give me any fucking work to do, okay? Mm. I'm out of office. I just mm. happen to be 
physically here due to the demands of a nine-to-five job. A contract, a contract, contractually obligation. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember me and Talia both just slumped the other day, and we were just like, I said, which doesn't make much sense, but it did in my soul. I said to Talia, I think I'm done with trying for this year. Oh, yeah. I've tried all oh, year, gosh, yeah. and now. I'm done with trying. It's... I have the last few obligations like this, or podcast, obviously. Mm. We're going to actually pre-record some content for the for the break, as, as always. I'm ill. I'm actually. I, I, have, I have a cough. Probably going to um, get it now. And no, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm I shouldn't do because I'm no, not. No, I'm not fine. coughing and spluttering. But I have had a nasty cough. I was sat watching poor things, which we'll talk about later. Mm. And the whole time I was going, <coughs> "You were the poor thing." <laughs> <laughs> a bit like a bit like my experience watching Barbie. Do you remember earlier yeah. this year when it was like the. <laughs> mm. The person sat next to me. If we were in our own dramatized TV show film, you would be dead in two episodes. Because you have a cough. <laughs> Can't I recover? Like, no, no one has a cough and recovers in anything. It's like that Mitchell and the Web look sketch. Oh God, darling, are you okay? Yes, it's just a cough. Can't shake this blasted cough. And then she comes back and he's like, hi. She's like, what happened to the cough? And he's like, it was just a cough. But yeah. it's like, it, that's never just oh, a cough. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, You're like King George VI at the start of The Crown. Yeah. God, why do I have to be there? <laughs> it's just a... Just a, a it's just an urn. There's an urn here next year. Can <laughs> you come back up to Christmas? What do you think, George? Silence as ever. <laughs> yeah. um, welcome to what is... 107. 107, which is ostensibly our Christmas episode. Yes, um, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. The, it'll be the week of Christmas. It'll be Christmas week. That's yeah. right. Maybe you're getting ready to... Carol sing uh, or go or be part of some sort of Dickensian church uh, you know, fate. No, no, I think what, where we'll sit for a lot of people will be uh, travel content. Oh, yeah. People who do travel home for Christmas, whether right, that's yeah. flight, train, uh, people who listen to podcasts, yeah. lovely cozy walks. Yep. Anyone who's cooking. I, I, I listen to podcasts while I cook and while great, I clean. Great time too. So all festive things. I hope you're having a nice little drink. I hope you get home all okay. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're maybe you're on the train back to your your folks, mm, and you're listening always, to this. Guys, we always said I'd like just take it easy. Oh relax. God, yeah, absolutely. T- use the time of Christmas to relax. And if relaxing for you is watching a bunch of things, fantastic. But if it's also not, and just watching that comfort show over and repeat, it's fine. Go mad. You go need mad. Literally, cut yourself some slack. Give mm. yourself a break of a Christmas fire. We off, will fire off in January. Yeah, Lord knows. Yeah. Um, we put out a thing on Instagram at the weekend saying, uh, let us know your favorite films of the year and your favorite performances yes. of the year. We should just flag that. That is not this episode. That is next week's episode, yes. which is the, the, Pop Kitchen Awards. the Pop Kitchen Awards for 2023. Our Second review, annual. Our review, yeah, our roundup of the films that were this year. Event. It is a black tie event. Of ju- and the attendees include me and you. Yes. Hosted by <laughs> me and you, with Produced an audience, <laughs> with the AV guys in the van, yes. with with the waiters, yeah. we are we are everyone, um, with the PR girls, like just so busy, busy. Just oh my so god! Um, yeah, a, okay, yeah. going to be. There fine. is a yeah, there is a, a PR. Yeah, um, I'm fine. Yeah. I, uh, there is a brand of PR people that we. Someone comes with. that was something. Yes, I can do that. Just give me one yeah. minute. So busy. Oh my god! Like, oh my god! Oh my god! Hey, yeah, I know, but I'm I'm absolutely fine. I'm in control of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, looking at you, but I'm not really, yeah, listening, yeah. Anyway. They're just such a sort at every event. Yes. Always lovely, always very helpful, yes, very don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, and uh, that's that. Today, we have, we're talking about two films mm. that are coming out 
in 2024 that you can look ahead to and look forward to. Yeah. We're talking about the Iron Claw. The Iron Claw. The Iron Claw. Which, the Iron Claw. Which is out th- this year in the States, but I believe is out in February yeah. in the UK, yeah. early Feb. And we'll also be talking about Poor Things, the Emma Stone, Yorgos Lanthimos movie, which I went to the... Uh, Premiere, but slash gala screening. They called mm, it the gala screening event. because, well, no, I think they called it the gala screening because they couldn't technically call it the premiere because it already showed at London Film Festival. Oh, fine. So it was basically a premiere, but they couldn't call it that. There were photos, um, carpets, posing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I went to see that earlier this week. And so we'll be talking about that, which that is out in January, January 12th. Mm. And then, you know. Emma Stone? Emma Stone. She, she, she's not Australian. <laughs> she's no, not I did that. Australian. <laughs> it's because I've seen that. Have you not seen the meme where they take a clip from Pearl? where it's no. Mia Goth shouting, I'm a star. But in, it, it sounds like Emma <laughs> Stone. She's like, I'm a star! And people are like, Emma Stone! Stone, uh, Yes, I went to the premiere, mm. uh, the gala screening. She looked at you, didn't she? Emma, she looked right into my soul. Yeah. Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, and more. But mm. we'll talk about that when we get to the review. Okay, fine, sir. But yeah, we're not, we started with the Iron Claw, James. Let's do it, I'll start the Iron Claw. Can I just top up my tea? Yeah. James, the Iron Claw. Before we get into it, George, oh, yeah. uh, and I know the answer to this question, wrestling, never watched it. I watched WWE oh, when okay, I was a right, kid yeah. Um, yeah. at my nan's house, bizarrely. Not like oh, she, sorry, like, she wasn't a fan. She wasn't you, sat it was there on once. You weren't like... I wasn't what? It was on once, though. You weren't like watching it. No, I've watched... I used to watch WWE. Oh, you used to watch WWE? Yeah, okay. I used to regularly watch it. And I used to play on the PlayStation games. And make it mine. Fine. Um, do, you, do you have a good understanding of how it works? No. Yeah, so I uh, never got wrestling i don't know if generationally i missed it a bit for our age and it, it's very american thing and i don't know how well it permeated mm. into the uk total respect for what wrestling is in terms of incredible amounts of athleticism and training yeah. but i never sorry to my rent, i never got a good understanding of how a performer progresses sorry to our end in wrestling yeah. Like what I know that it's it's fake, which yes. is sort of a little bit silly for a sport, and yeah. it's sort of there's this huge like performance and bravado into it. But I was like, okay, so someone wins, but that's pre-arranged. Yeah. So it's like theatre. It's like theatre, but then like you, you you obviously want to win and you want to progress. Is it all down to the showmanship? But also you have to perform. And I never really got why would you watch this? Like boxing, I totally get. I'm right. not a huge boxing fan, but I totally understand. Or MMA even. I'm like, yeah, it's a real fight. And, and two, un, two undefeated people are going to yeah. come together and someone will lose their undefeated status. That has a real sense right. of like, understanding. And I thought, oh, okay, like a wrestling movie from the late 70s into early 80s. What a great way to explain, like, especially at its very sort of Genesis embryonic stages, how wrestling sort of comes about where it's staged, but people are trying to get ahead yeah. and win and you're the champion, but that's all prearranged. Right. And so I had this little sort of wondering, where does that... I'd love to sort of get an explainer for that for the Iron Claw. And it never really came in the Iron Claw, and I'll get onto that point later. The Iron Claw, directed by Sean Durkin. Yes. Um, Who I is, like. Yeah. He did he, Martha Macy May Marlene, which is a really seen good it, film. But I heard it was good. Really good. And he also did a film, which I think I've spoken about before, called The Nest with Jude Law, which is really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, takes its name, The Iron Claw, from a wrestling move where basically created by Fritz von Erich who is the father of Yvonne Eric Flam. Yeah, great, great, great name. Uh, which is a strong hand that goes, like an immovable grip over your opponent's face and you squeeze their temples and they become like paralyzed by the pain. And, uh, 
ah, on the floor and it's the iron claw. It's like a sort of final finisher, yeah. Mortal Kombat style finishing move. Uh, this is set in the US in Texas from the late 1970s into the early 80s. And it's about a true story on the unwinding and tragic fall of the Von Erich family. And it's got a wrestling family with four brothers, played by Zac Efron, who plays Kevin Von Erich. You've got Harris Dickinson playing David Von Erich, mm. Jeremy Allen White from The Bear playing Kerry Von Erich, and Stanley Simmons, uh, who I've not, I don't think I've seen before, uh, who plays Mike Von Erich. You've also got Lily James as Pam. Oh. He's actually really good in this. Um, and so all of whom, all of these boys have been raised by their father, Fritz, who is a wrestling star in him? his day. Uh, that is Holt McCallany. Holt McCallany. Oh, yeah, Holt McCallany, who was in Mindhunter. Yeah, yeah, good actor. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah like he's, really, he's really good in this. Um, and they've been ra raised by this overbearing masculine father who pushes all of his sons to excel in athleticism and like wrestling yep. in particular. It's very much, uh, you know, you're strong, you don't show weakness, you get your Classic. feet back up, very pushy. And they're a big Texan family of four boys where mum serves breakfast with a huge bowl of eggs like and bear. piles of bacon. <laughs> and all these massive boys come down in their teeny tiny little underpants <laughs> and just pile on bacon and bread and ketchup and... You know, the father will sit them down and you know, they've all taken to sport and athleticism very differently. So Kevin, who's played by Zac Efron, is the biggest. He is the hot prospect. He is the most trained. He, at that time, is the biggest prospect in the wrestling world. Um, and you've also got David, played by Harris Dickinson, who's actually a lot smaller physically and is very much being pushed by his dad to work out mm. more. You know, sort of taps his arms. You know, you need to work out in the gym more. You're too skinny. You've got no arms. Mm. Um, and Kevin, when he comes down, actually sort of takes some bacon off his plate in the morning. It's almost like a power like, I'm the big brother. I need the bacon. Mm. Even though there's like a huge pile of bacon there, it's like a sort of, mm. I'm bigger. I'll take, I'll take off your plate. Um, and you've also got Kerry, played by Jeremy Allen White, who starts the film out as an Olympian trainee a discus thrower. Wow. So athletic in a different way. But unfortunately, is forced to return home after... Uh, Jimmy Carter tells the US athletes that they're all going to have to withdraw from the 1980 Moscow Olympics. Oh. So hence creating another dynamic where the brother who was in a completely other discipline oh. is now competing in this uh, very, very friendly, but definitely competitive dynamic of who's going to be the star mm. and all that. You also have Mike, who isn't athletic at all and who plays orchestra with his friends, um, which is actually, because it's a massive lie, he plays in like a 1970s, 80s rock band Amazing. in the garage and he's actually really good. And you like, sort of look at him and you go, oh yeah, 19, 1970s, 1980s rock in a garage, yeah. corduroy flares and sort of a, like sort of that army green V-neck tee mm. could totally just like make it. It's a whole other different film or different life story. Uh, and then separately to all of this, the Von Erich family, uh, have this paranoia that there is a curse upon their family where bad things happen to them. And when Zac Efron, who's the oldest child, was younger, he actually had an older brother who died tragically at the age of, age of six. And they've attributed it to, we are a family that is cursed and bad things happen to us. So what you have is that Zac Efron's Kevin feels like a sort of proxy oldest brother where he, he feels like he needs to be sort of hmm. the, the best behaved and the mentor, but ultimately he feels like he has lost out on that guardianship. And there's sort of this overhanging idea that bad things happen to this family. Um, and so what you have is a, sort of quite a straightforward, I thought sort of Arthur Miller light tragedy of a common man story unfolds um, and things sort of really start 
to turn for the worse for this family as it unfolds. And within it, you've got some really top performances from actors who are so clearly really dedicated to their characters, to the story, and telling a deeply sad, sobering, true story. And there's a really great sense of chemistry and charm between these brothers. I really sort of see the commitment in them and wanting to tell it. Uh, and the physicality of characters is really important in this film. Obviously, wrestling being the sport that it is, there's a sort of real physical transformation that happens. But I, f I first thought of it, I first saw it and I thought, okay, Zac Efron put on loads of muscle for a film, big work. But actually, when I see it, my first comment was, holy shit, Zac Efron built himself for this role. And it's such a distinct physicality of being really top heavy and triangular and swollen and sort of unable to sort of rest his arms properly. And, it, and what I realized is that it's actually really incredible, but actually quite um, interesting is that he feels inflamed and uncomfortable and mm. not in his own skin. And like he sort of had to sort of force his body into this horrible position to perform these- Grotesque. Like, almost, almost grotesque. I mean, it's, it's, he looks like um, what comic book, uh, male bodies look mm. like so vascular and two percent body fat and you're like nobody really looks like mm. batman in like the batman comics it's yeah. just the insane amount of muscle detail but zach Efron for some reasons has managed to do it so that physicality is really there and harris dickinson to probably do, i mean he looks good but he's no way near mm. like oh, that's purposeful he's no way near zach Efron. i thought that's actually quite an interesting you know to show the physicality of someone mm. who's strained um it's got a wonderful sense of period, great soundtrack. Mm. You've got like Rush, great. Uh, Blue Oyster Cult, Velvet Underground oh, playing yeah. throughout. Very much enjoyed, enjoyed, the, uh, enjoyed the, 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 the soundtrack in it. And so aside from this soft element of a sports movie where, you know, there's a bit of a training montage and mm. I want to beat this guy. I, again, like I, I struggle to understand the performance element versus competing to be better than the other person. Because at one point, Lily James, who meets Kevin as a love interest, says, what you do with this wrestling, it's, it's fake though, right? And Kevin says, oh, there's nothing fake about, about what we do. Well, you know, it's, it's prearranged. And he's like, yeah, you know, there's, there's this. And I'm like, okay, so I don't understand fundamental. Mm. And I could have just, I really did try to understand it. Why do you progress forward? I understand the showmanship. Mm. I understand you have to be physically able to perform the moves, but it's prearranged. Where's the rehearsal that you, you, why don't you know who's going to make it to the next round? And I just, for some reason, don't understand the progression in wrestling. Is it, if I may, is it like, despite the fact that it's prearranged, the audience's reaction to you as a showman in that 10 minutes determines the organizers will then go they loved you yeah. so next time you play you're gonna win and we're gonna push you on which is there and that's explained but sometimes you're like building up to the fight and it's like who's gonna win and i'm like well, but there's no stakes uh, yeah. yeah so well, as, low stakes, as yeah. a sports movie which it's not it's not a hard sports yeah. movie there's a soft element of like how do, how are we going to progress who's going to get to do it i'm like <laughs> i'm sorry i just there's something quite lost there um but i found myself rooting for the film yeah. in a lot of ways uh because of those really great performances and actually at the end of my screening when the credits rolled and you know you had individual credits for each actor people in my screening were clapping for the actors because i thought they think they all did a really good job so, so much about it is really, really great. And I think I was rooting for it and enjoying a lot of the parts of it. But despite a lot of really great track laid out, especially in that sort of tragedy mm. sense, the emotional punch of the film, unfortunately, towards the end, just doesn't quite get the reaction I think it deserves. There's definitely sadness there, but I can't help but think if this has just been given a little more, time is a weird word because it's two hours and 15 minutes, but mm. appropriate emotional punch in the right places. Mm. Um, so I can even point to within that two hour 15 runtime, rushed scenes, 
moments swept under the rug, gaps in the story where I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Mm. What happened and who did what and where? You just skipped past this and now I'm sort of emotionally mm. catching up with you. So this, this, this whole like idea of a cursed bloodline is obviously a superstition and it really gets a hold of Kevin and he decides he doesn't want to sleep in the same house as his wife and his baby because he's worried about passing on mm. this curse. And it's and so like you've sort of unpacked this, but not really. And I, I, I can I can sort of in my own head deduce an allegory for the mm. mental illness in men and the pain that we pass on from other generations, kind of like an iron claw grip mm. that comes from the father. Like I kind of get that, but maybe that should have been explored explored a bit more. There's a lot of pain in the film, and I think Sean Dunk Jerkin does a really good job of bringing most of it home. And I think the final scene in particular is really tear-jerking, and I think I, I did feel sad, but there are so many other moments just in the run-up. I think, God, you could have really had, had mm. me there. I think I, I, I attribute it to there's a few scenes where the dialogue just doesn't come, come off the page, mm. although I felt like the writers just didn't know how to tell this particular transition in the story. So almost, mm. there, there, is, there is a sadness to it. And I did really feel for the characters and I think you'd be heartless to not feel sadness when the credits roll. Um, but that's where I left with it. Like really promising, not quite getting a home run for me. That's interesting. Have you ever seen The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke? No, but I've, I've really wanted yeah, to. It's I, been on my list for a while. God, Does I, that explain how wrestling works? Well, you know what? <laughs> I, I've only seen that once. It was over 10 years ago. But I remember thinking it was really good. Mm. And I remember thinking uh, Mickey Rourke was great in it. And there is another, in that he is, again, uh, there is the performative element, but like he's a former champion wrestler. Mm. So uh, I don't know how they're addressing that. But I'm wondering, like that also tells the kind of like bittersweet, beautiful, tragic arc mm. of someone who's been involved in this and um i'm just interested it probably overlaps in thematically and i'm wondering yeah. how it will compare um, and, and I, i'm sure someone who knows wrestling way better than me is maybe screaming at the phone but like, you idiot that's how it works but i i maybe as a film which really fundamentally is about wrestling and like progressing and trying to improve yeah. that's lost on me so like there is this dynamic of kevin is the most practiced and the most yeah. sort of uh, visually uh, most competent at wrestling, but uh, I can't remember. It was uh, Harris Dickinson's character has the gift of the gab, and he's mm. way more charismatic. And at one of his fights, they sort of do these double brother wrestling matches. He takes the mic and is able to rally mm. the crowd, and that sort of is where they compete. So I totally get the showmanship is everything, but that's true in boxing. Mm. Like if you're in boxing, you're a villain or you're, you create a rivalry, you therefore have a market for your fight. So I just don't get why, like, well, the board, the, 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 the Federation likes you, so they're going to take you forward. And I'm like, okay, but you're then going to go into a match and lose to someone. I just don't, I just don't get why as a sports movie I guess maybe works. you should look at it like, uh, again, hypothesizing here, yeah. not seen it, not yeah. really get to the wrestling. Is it more like, they are performers in the sense that, like, imagine it like a TV show, so the Federation are like, we think you're a good star, We're gonna, and, and next season... We're going to put you up and you're going to be a bigger character and we're going to make you lose a bit. We're going to make you win a bit and we're going to give you a narrative that the audience can really Yes, but to. then in the fights, there's like moments where it's like a real fight and he's fighting with the guy. But I'm like, why should I feel tension for what's about to happen when I'm sure it's been uh, prearranged? Yeah, that's a good point. Just a someone who can let it, can someone who's a big please, wrestling... Please fill me in and... This like, John Cena's going to burst in. Like, <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> Um, yeah, like what made The Rock become The Rock? Like, how did he get so big? And yeah. how did John Cena get? And to it's fine me not knowing, but when when you want to create tension in in a sort of sports yeah, movie you... light, I'm still scratching my head a little bit about how how that works. And like at the end of the fight, they're in the locker room and they're like, "God damn it!" Like, I didn't, I lost. He lo he loses the fight in inverted commas, and I'm and I'm like, "Are you surprised you lost the fight, mm. or you didn't perform athletically to what you 
thought you could. That's the only like. Okay, thing I'm going to. Well, this isn't out until February, so I'm going to make sure I do some like reading on that yeah, before yeah. I get to it. Read into how wrestling works. Um, do you, if anyone knows more about wrestling or indeed has seen this, like I said, it's not out in the UK yet, but it's coming out in the US. I think there's already been some screenings. So if you have seen the Iron Claw, please yeah. write in with your thoughts to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and we'd love to talk and about it. I think it. overall I'd give it a thumbs up and I do think when it comes out, seek it out, go and see it. Good I'm sensing a three and a half out of five from you. It's a, oh, it's a real, yeah, three three 3.25 stars if I was to do that. Mm. I don't believe in that, but yeah, it's I'm kind just of with my letterbox there. hat on. And it's, it's, it's so, Almost, it's so nearly. could be a four. Mm. It so could be a four. Um, you also had something else to say about it. So completely separately and I want to just sort of separate this from my review because... I, I did have a moment in the film which really, which really was quite troubling, and I'm, I'm not going to spoil the film, and I'm going to try and explain why this scene is problematic without spoiling the film. Because this film is really de- dealing with mental health in men, uh, sort of different anxieties and problems that we pass on from one male generation to another, there is a scene, I want to say it was the third last scene in the film, and if you've seen the film, you know exactly what scene... I'm talking about. I can't really say exactly what that scene is because it would spoil pretty much all of the film. But if you know the story, you can deduce what I'm talking about. When you tell a story about men's mental health and you put a scene in your film that portrays those people doing that thing after someone would have done that thing, Mm -hmm. I think it portrayed it in a really, really problematic light that I don't think is appropriate for media. If Mm -hmm. someone who is struggling with mental health, especially a man who sees that scene and interprets interprets it the wrong way, which I think would be very easily to do, I think it was hugely problematic and a mistake to do, and it left me with a really uncomfortable feeling in my gut, and it really took the sting out of the emotional ending, where I thought that just wasn't needed, and it's not... I don't think it's appropriate, and I think it's just a real shame that you needed to show that moment because I think it, I think it glorifies something that really shouldn't be. Does it show it because they need to? Because it's factual. No, and they didn't need to. Everything was explained in another image huh. prior, and it made this decision to show these people in a certain space. Mm. I'm really dancing around spoilers because I think I don't, I don't want to spoil it yeah. if I haven't seen it. But I just thought that's really problematic, and okay. I think it's a shame that that scene did that because I could, I could just really imagine. If, men, if young men do watch this, which I think a lot of young men will be drawn to that, could see that scene in a certain, and interpret it in a really troubling way. I'm really sort of being No, no, vague, that's, that's fine. That's that left t- a bad note in my, in my stomach, and then it sort of took the sting out of what the film did, and it's lasting, which was really tender and, and sweet. Okay, that's The Iron Claw, coming soon in 2024. Like I said, let us know your thoughts if you've seen it. The Iron Claw. Mm. So James, let's do Poor Things, which I mentioned at the top of the show. So the new film from Yorgos Lanthimos, who directed such films as The Lobster, The mm. Favourite, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, Dogtooth. I assume... Favourite th- scene, enjoyed and, that. And that's it. That is it. So I, I'm i one of those... I, I kind of sit differently in my relationship with Lanthimos. Is that I've seen The Favourite and Killing of a Sacred Deer. Mm. I like The Favourite less than most people do. And uh, I like yeah. Killing of a Secret, Sacred Deer more than most people do, actually. Mm. Um, I... Uh, but this is his his new film. Obviously, the favorite huge success at the awards. It didn't win Best Picture, but obviously um, Olivia Colman won oh, Best Actor, nominations for the acting cast, costumes, and everything. And now we have his follow up movie with Emma Stone in the lead role. So Poor Things is based on a novel by Alistair Gray, and it is this kind of 
build, you know what I mean when I say a buildings roman, you know, do you remember that from school, studying English, a buildings roman, which is, it's a, it's a, it's a literary oh. term to describe a type of coming of age story. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Because yeah. when I say coming of age, people typically think more high school movies. I mean like buildings roman is that someone's evolution from child to adult, spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it is a story about Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone. Bella Baxter is a, a woman, a grown woman with an infantile mind who lives in this sort of grotesque, strange house um, of Willem Dafoe's character, Godwin. I can't remember his surname, but she calls him God, fittingly enough, because right. he is a creator and inventor. And this is about turn of the century... Um, uh, you know, Victorian times uh, in in London. But I will say, and I'll get on to talk about the Sounds production right. design. This film is so weird and bizarre. Yes, it is turn of the century, but it could be shot on Mars, frankly. Right. It's got this completely otherworldly, detached, surreal uh, aesthetic. Nice. Um, Godwin, uh, played by Willem Dafoe, is, like I said, an adventure creator. He's Scottish. He has this grotesque face that looks like he this isn't true of the of the narrative but it, it looks like a face that was smashed and then repaired piece by piece he has these strains lines on his face where his face has been sort of reconstructed mm. and he says his father used to perform experiments on him and he wasn't a loving man he has this strange apparatus that connects to his gut to give him into, uh, gastrointestinal juices he he operates and demonstrates at the medical school in this sort of strange gallery you know observation gallery people looking down he's, he's he's fascinated by cadavers and anatomy and very much in a kind of victor frankenstein way and he takes the the eye of rami youssef who plays um a young um up-and-coming scientist medicine student called max mccandles who who everyone else at this sort of academy laughs at willem dafoe but he believes he's, he's a genius he walks with Gordon back to his house and Godwin says, "I want you to study Bella for me. She is a curious specimen, but she she hasn't she her her age of her body and the age of her mind is is disconnected. Please, can you study her and study her progression for medical purposes?" And uh, Rami uh, Max McCandles says, "Yes, of course." And just to give you an impression, this is sh- the uh, first act is shot in kind of black and white. Again, really surreal. You have um, animals. You've got a, a, a dog with the head of a duck running past. You have a a, a, a dog with the, the body of a chicken. You have these just sort of very surreal um, laboratory of nonsense just all around you. And to explain poor things is very hard because of its style. But like I said, it it's this kind of spellbinding beguiling buildings roman that i've got here i I was i was trying to tick off in my head the production design what 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 informs it it draws on everything from 1950s melodramas 1930s universal creature movies you know like the bride of frankenstein 1920s german expressionism i'm talking the doctor uh, the cabinet of dr caligari if anyone knows that the work of fritz lang and metropolis art nouveau belle epoque the work of escher and escher paintings and mary shelley's frankenstein to name a few in this sort of stylistic soup nice so what happens is that Bella begins to develop, begins to learn language. You know, at the beginning of the film, she is completely infantile and can barely string a sentence together, but that grows. And what happens, of course, when she starts to become curious about the outside world, where she's not allowed to see, of course, because it's dangerous. What happens when she becomes curious about that world? And what happens in particular when she starts to feel desire and sexuality? In that mixture comes 
Mark Ruffalo playing a very curious, very suspicious lawyer mm. who looks at Bella and says, you are fascinating. He's doing a very sort of CAD, Cary Grant sort of thing and says, you're a fascinating specimen, Bella. Why don't you come away with me to Lisbon? We'll have a great time. And so begins this kind of epic romp through turn-of-the-century Europe um, alongside Mark Ruffalo with a lot of desire, a lot of sex, and uh, a lot of funny lines. So to begin with, just on that thing about the production design, it is the most fascinating production design I've seen in a long time. It is the level of detail and creativity you'd expect of a science fiction film. And in a way, this it, it does feel like a science fiction film because she is almost this android character entering society and learning to sort of integrate. But it's not, it's pre-science fiction. It is turn of the century. So it's almost like a steampunk aesthetic. Um, this it's the film is shot with this uh fisheye otherworldliness this sort of strange again science fiction like martian look at the world and the sets and everything are constructed in a very sort of um uh, they look like a miniature like an architectural mm. model with with little with little um people walking along and every set is you know with wooden backgrounds and they're kind of moving and it's all very false and artificial and and although it doesn't look like other Yorgos Lanthimos films, everyone talks in a very sort of, what happens in all of Yorgos Lanthimos' films, in this very stilted, stiff, contrived, art way of speaking, which can be very, very funny. And sure enough, the script is really witty and that each character is given some really great lines to, to deliver. It's completely bizarre, completely mad, but in terms of that production design, I wanted to, I wanted to be like, I want this as a coffee table book that I can flick through because I was really mesmerized by it. It, it. it is completely fascinating to look at. I'm sure it will sweep the Oscars in, in that category. In particular, the costume design as well. When I went to the um, the premiere of it, the, the, sorry, the screening, the costumes were there uh, to, to study beforehand. And I've never paid that much attention to, it when, uh, to a costume as I have in this one when, when viewing it. Bella's outfits kind of blend. The, she'll have like these oversized... Um, shoulder pads you know the, the the puffy shoulders of a, of a turn of the century outfit which are slightly gothic-y but quite angular and then the her bottom half she'll have short like skirt shorts and boots that almost infer like 1960s dress wear it's just really interesting to look at mm. um i think it no surprises here but all the performances are Great. Emma Stone, fantastic. Mark Ruffalo, great. Willem best, Dafoe. Best actor buzz going around. There's a lot of best actors. I think, I mean, Willem Dafoe and Mark Ruffalo are both best supporting actors in oh, yeah. this. But, but for her, absolutely. But she will definitely get a nomination for this. And, and Rami Youssef as well is great. There's also brief turns from Charlie Abbott, and uh, Christopher Abbott rather, and Margaret Qualley. Um, but but Mark Ruffalo doing that kind of very funny... Uh, mysterious Cary Grant kind of cad character I re really enjoyed and you know Willem Dafoe has one of the most interesting faces ever and every time he talks doing a slight Scottish accent um, I would say that the, 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 the film is at its most interesting when it is about this curious creation that is new to the world coming to learn about society and specifically about how society treats women and about how a woman is expected to function in relation to men not just in Victorian society but by extension 
our society in general. And it is the, 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 the joy and the interest of the film is watching Bella comment on and challenge the social expectations around women in a really, I think, interesting and subversive way. And actually, I think would make a very interesting, good companion to Barbie. In the sense you have this artificial yeah. figure entering and learning about becoming face to face with patriarchy and and uh, sexuality. It's 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 really interesting. Um, it is a it's a bit long. It's two hours twenty, and I think it could have lost twenty minutes. It's one of those I was talking to it with a friend afterwards, and it was like it's a four act movie. You get to the third act, you're like, I'm in the third act here. This is where the movie is wrapping up, and it goes surprise bonus act. Here's another twenty minutes for you, mm. and you go, oh, I I thought. I thought we were done. Okay, okay, yeah, sure. I guess we'll do this other thing. Um, and I do think that the longer the film went on, I personally became a little bit unstuck, a little bit more bewildered than beguiled. But what I will say is that with all Yorgos Lanthimos's films, with his kind of arch style, they do hold you at a distance in the first viewing. And I would be, I think a bit like I've talked about with Christopher Nolan, I'm sure that each of his films gets better upon second viewing mm. because there's so much stylistic contrivance in front of you. There is only, like, you are being held at arm's length just Mm. to take it all in. And it's funny because the the screening was at the Barbican, and my friend said the the film itself is a bit like the Barbican, which is the first time you go there, you're completely lost, beguiled by the the scenery and the the, the sort of routes. You can just about make your way through the Barbican, but it's likely you'll get lost. Mm. But every time you go back, you become more and more familiar and you come to appreciate more and more things. And I think that's what I'll have with this. I'm sure on second viewing, I would be able to focus much more on her arc, Bella's arc, um, and and not just the kind of the the set dressing. But she's very funny in it. There's some good lines, great performances. Um, Just a little too long in my in my opinion but yes it's getting a lot of oscar buzz and i think well deserved in terms of the acting and the production design it looks great uh yeah that all sounds really exciting and different and challenging yes and, new. and i look forward to seeing emma stone in that she yes it's 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 really really different and that's the yeah. thing i was watching thinking like okay although i might be coming a little bit unstuck for some of this and it might not be to my taste i i really really appreciated really seeing something different it is interesting as well like when we talk about films that um you know, you get added clarity on a second viewing. It's like your first viewing, you don't know what's going to happen and exactly. therefore your impression of it's really different. But then armed with the knowledge of what happens in the end, yeah. you're, you're just like, the second viewing is completely different. Yeah, you're liberated to look around. More. Yes. And I, think, yeah. and I think that will be the key to unlocking things like this. So I, I, mm. that's my point. So even though I know- You'll so, see it again. I will see it again. I don't know if I'll see it again in the near future, but, yeah. but I would be open to watching it again. It's more that I'm, I'm, I'm open to respecting the fact that although I became unstuck the longer the film went on, I recognize that I'm sure that's, I, I, I recognize the effect of Lanthimos' style and I'll pick that up on a second viewing. Um, on the screening itself, sorry, which I hadn't mentioned yet. Oh yeah. Had a lovely time. Mm. James was unavailable, so I went with a friend. Mm. And uh, like I said, the costumes were all laid out before and got lovely, good to see Emma Stone and Mark Ruffer there. What was- George's video at Pop Kitchen Podcast yes. on Instagram. And well, I posted the highlights. But it's interesting that it was at the Barbican, which is mm. which is kind of a bit of a, it's never, mm. a bit of a rogue choice. I've never had a premiere there before, right? No, but they have screens. And, yeah, but they have a yeah, they have a really good 
screening uh, cinema in, in the barbecue with a really steep rake. Mm. And um, I saw, it was a good couple of, I actually saw the director of um, How to Have Sex, Molly Manning Walker. Oh, was nice. that, and I, was, I was going to, she was literally stood next to me and I was really? going to say something, but I was already shooting a video for my content. So I could have time. I spoke to uh, Luke Millington Drake, who's people might know on TikTok and Instagram for his, he's an actor who does impressions of Kira Knightley and Posh Oh, uh, hey, yeah, yeah, but, he's great. He was really, really, yeah. really sweet. Um, and apparently Andrew Garfield was in the audience as well, which I totally oh, missed. Wow. I spent a lot of time upstairs and they were already downstairs. We're big Andrew Garfield fans. Please see the, Andrew, um, the episode we dedicated to Andrew Garfield. The benefit of it being in the Barbican is this. In most venues when we do these things, um, Edith Bowman comes on and sure enough, she was doing this one as well. And she says, and I'd like to introduce the cast of the films. Come on and just answer a few questions. And they come on from the wings, right? Mm. That's not possible in this Barbican screening because of the way it's designed. Mm. So whilst Edith Bowman was on stage chattering, there at the end of my row was the entire cast just stood there. And I had Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, Rami Yusuf, and Emma Stone just chatting and chilling out while Edith was doing her introduction. Wow. And Emma Stone and Willem Dafoe had a little hug. Oh. And it, I could not say how weird it was. I was watching Edith Bowman and in the corner of my ear, I could hear Willem Dafoe say to Mark Ruffalo, I could hear the sort of the, the, the timbre of his voice. Yeah. And Mark Ruffalo going, yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, that's, no specifics. Yeah, no specifics. Just like, and that's what I think. And it's just like, that's so precious. I really feel yeah. like I'm, I'm in the room. In the, with, not the wings, but like seeing them as about, about exactly. to come on. And yeah. they were having such a good time. And then they came on and they did their thing. Mm. And Emma Stone, I, I do feel like in, in 10, 20 years' time, it'd be like when I had the Julia Roberts thing recently. When mm. you see her, you're like, oh, you are quite iconic, actually. Yeah. Um, and it was it was really cool. But I, I love that. Just, I ah, do like yeah. when we go to these events and we see obviously like the actors all on stage or uh, you know sort of about to come on but you see like which actors are sort of laughing and joking with which other actors yes. and who stands next to who and yeah. who like has physical touch and affection yeah. and yeah who's like who's, oh my god I've yeah ages. like um in the crown one elizabeth debicki and like, i can't remember the guy the actor's name he plays um dodie Alfayed. they were like really close mm. and affectionate and obviously they spent so much time together we were just like oh yeah like they're mates yeah. and they would have done like all that stuff on a beautiful yacht together i'm sure they had lots of fun oh yeah they're real people yeah <laughs> real people yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see what you'll think of it. What yeah, I'm I look forward to about seeing it. it. But uh, I really, I I think I prefer. I, I still like Killing of a Sacred Deer because it's darker and really mm. strange and like a Greek tragedy. But this was really something different. Well, guys, obviously both the films we talked about aren't really out yet. But if you did get a chance to see it, or if you are listening to this down the line when it comes out, please do send in your thoughts to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We would love to read them out on the show nearer the time, nearer the awards, George. Yeah, exactly. The, most of these are going to be well, the out. Golden Globes are out. And, and I tell you what, it's a really yeah. interesting category for best actor. Because, well, ostensibly, I haven't looked into this, but they look like they've not done the musical Should comedy thing. Yeah, hang on. Stand by for the Golden Globes nominations. So this is the weird thing about the Golden Globes, which is also, by the way, not an awards ceremony I, I really rate. We've talked about this before. Mm. If you look into the stuff, it's all voted for by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. It's not like the Oscars, which is actually mm. voted for by the industry within it, even though the Oscars is problematic as well. So mm. I really, really do take the Golden Globes with a pinch of salt. Mm -hmm. So actually, so the acting categories are split between musical and comedy. Yeah. Except the supporting actor categories, which are just for motion picture. I, go figure. I don't understand. So, just don't, don't want so, so best supporting actor is just for any film, yeah. but then the best actor is for... In a drama. In a it, or in a musical comedy. So yeah. just but for best supporting actor, you've got Willem Dafoe for Poor Things. Yeah, very good. Mm -hmm. De Niro of Killers of the Flower Moon. Great. Yeah. Danny Jr. for Oppenheimer. Great. Yeah. Gosling for Barbie. Great. Yeah. Charles Melton for May December. He won't win, but he's very good in that. I'm glad to see him recognised. And Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things as well. Great. 
Yeah. Just yeah. a just a just an interesting one. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's get on with some of those emails. George, let's go through some of the emails we get sent every single week. They add to the show. They do. We love hearing from the sirens. I do. The siren song. I just like to know, like, what are the people saying about the films? I want to know. I genuinely want to know. I'm not just saying it. I'm like, no, please. Please do tell us. Speaking of you, let's us know. Trevor from LA. Trevor. An icon. An icon of the pod. Yeah. Uh, uh, A legacy friend. Yes. He has legacy. Season one friend. Season one, a phase one, a phase one friend. Mm -hmm. Trevor writes in uh, with a subject subject line that says, dispatches from your LA correspondent, and then says, sup, dudes. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Gnarly, bro. It's your LA correspondent just dropping in to share only- uh, Getting bleach blonde, curly hair. Yeah. You know, shark tooth necklace. It's all good. Uh, just dropping in to share two only in LA film experiences I had last week that I thought you'd enjoy. My first experience involved Quentin Tarantino's new theater. If you didn't already know, some years ago, Tarantino brought a single screen theater here in LA called the New Beverly that shows revival films projected on film, often using his own personal prints. He recently bought a second single screen theater called The Vista that he put through a gut renovation for the purposes of showing new releases exclusively on film. Yeah. It just opened and the, uh, and the first film to screen there was Ridley Scott's Napoleon in 70mm. My friends and I went this past Tuesday and it was a magical experience. It simultaneously felt like a luxury experience while also having that nostalgic old movie house feel. In addition to things like the original concussion, uh, concession stand and signs, uh, the lobby featured some Tarantino memorabilia like outfits from Kill Bill, original posters for true romance and the like very very cool, very cool. i highly recommend the experience to anyone visiting la i've attached a couple of photos for you which are all really cool yes i can see it here yes looks looks really nice oh yes yeah will you nice. will you put these on the screen yeah yeah, yeah i'll put them on the screen for the people iconic the video yeah on. very old school uh, he goes on to say as for the film itself i personally really enjoyed napoleon i kept myself i kept asking myself throughout the film was napoleon really like this and joaquin is nailing the performance or is joaquin just not trying i was also amazed watching those battle sequences just knowing ridley scott is 87 directing like he's never going to is die actually? truly wow. a legend for Fair all time play. it's an interesting thing about joaquin's performance i think you said like he clearly read the script and was like cool i will do, do what do i can with yeah. with what with what's here, it, it's a weirdly um, slightly sort of distant yeah. and irreverent. Detached. It feels detached from the, the material, yeah. but it's not bad. No, it's not bad Can't really do, do a bad performance. Do a bad though. performance. The second very cool experience I had was the following night this past Wednesday. Those same friends and I got uh, got to attend a one-night-only screening of the three-hour special edition version of The Abyss, re-released to celebrate the upcoming 4K restoration overseen by Cameron himself. I hadn't seen The Abyss in probably that, 15... James, just so people know, a James Cameron film with about underwater life forms. I've not seen it. I saw it when I was a kid, didn't think that much of it, but carry on. Uh, the Abyss is probably, uh, I haven't seen The Abyss in probably 15 years, and not only does it look incredible in 4K, but I was absolutely blown away by how thrilling that movie still is and how well it's aged. Only James Cameron. As I'm sure you can appreciate living in London, it's access to experiences like these that make living in a major cultural centre like LA, New York, yeah. and London so worth it. That's very, very true. Mm. Very quickly, I also saw Godzilla Minus One last yes, week. Yes, i heard a lot of good things about this. After going, on, going in blind based on film talk reviews, I was totally blown away. An absolutely extraordinary film. The movie is so moving, the story is so moving, 
moving that by the time the credits rolled, everyone in the theater, including myself, was crying. Wow. One of the very best films of the year. I hope you both get to see it, and I look forward to your review. Wishing you and your families a very happy Christmas. Cheers. Trevor, P.S. Congratulations on 100 episodes. I was traveling, so didn't get a chance to chime in about that a few weeks ago. Thanks for being, letting me be a small part of it. Here's to the next 100. Yeah, um, I shamefully have looked at the sort of Godzilla-verse post the sort of 2014 one, and I've just not... This is been, not part of that. Yeah, but I think I've, I've not really any been... Any sort of title related I've not really been interested. I think I sort of looked at the sort of big monster fights, big robot fights, evil thing, and yeah. I was just like, it's not really interesting to me. But that has really, you know, made me go, oh... I yeah. apologise. I should go and see it if it's really, really good. Thank you, Trevor, for that email. This next email is from Hannah. Sorry, sorry. I think this, oh, no. uh, it's just because I think there is a sort of like studio commissioning thing of like people want to see the really big mm. thing. It's just like a boxing match in yeah. CG and that's not interesting to me. But I'm very happy to be proved, proved wrong and I'm sorry if I've sort of prejudged the film. Sorry. This next email is from Hannah about film remakes. Hi, George and James, James and George. Hannah here. I sent you a question about comfort films for your 100th episode. Is that enough to be considered a friend of the show? Of course it is, Hannah. Hannah. I remember that question. Welcome. To the family. Welcome. I'm a primary school teacher teaching year three at the moment, and oh. I'm currently reading the such a what, what, what a wonderful age oh, they are. Hannah, I bet you're nice. Um, <laughs> and I'm currently reading Roald Dahl's Matilda with my class. Great. They love it. It's always a fan favourite and one of my all-time favourites, too. We always watch the film adaptation, if there is one, and when, when we finish the book. And this year, a lot of the children are asking me if we can watch the musical version of Matilda. The first few times they asked me, it, it, it made me want to vomit, as quite frankly, the musical version is shit. In brackets, can I swear? Do you like? However, I found myself thinking the other evening about whether remakes of films of, are keeping classic stories alive, and should I offer remakes some slack? Would the children be interested in the story of Matilda without the recent musical adaptation? I was wondering your thoughts. Do you also feel negative about remakes of classics such as uh, Roald Dahl films? Or do you think they're a necessity if we want to keep children interested in classic stories? My gut feeling is still that I want to leave the classics alone. Thanks for giving me something, something lighthearted to listen to after stressful days at work, especially around this time of year when the kids go nuts. Love the pod and sending you lots of Christmas cheer. Hannah, P.S., Absolutely agree with your reviews of Five Nights at Freddy's and The Hunger Games. I forever need to live with the fact I will never get those six hours back. That was a tough week. For <laughs> thank film. you, thank you for just like coming yeah. in because we went in so hot on those. I went really cold on those films. Yeah, and everyone was like, "No, they're great. Loved it. Best time. No, no thanks." Um, just on that. So um, the idea of uh, whether you. Let me reread mm. that question again. By the way, I just love Danny De the Danny DeVito Matilda. Well, that's right. the other one as well. Yeah, that, that's good fun. However, uh, whether remakes of films are keeping classic stories alive, and should I offer remakes? Was that I think you do a bit because with the with the with the the, the musical version, it's like they made, so the, there's Matilda the story, mm -hmm. and then they made the film with Danny DeVito, mm -hmm. Great. and then they went let's try it in a different medium and made a musical out of it. What year was that? The musical. Yeah. Oh, the musical. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, See, I've seen the musical. Yeah. On stage? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. But very successful. It was really overhyped for me. Okay, but massively successful yeah. oh, stage huge, version, yeah. which they then went, that was so successful, let's put it back into film version, mm. which I'm fine with. I think it's okay. Like, I, I almost take it on like a case-by-case -case basis. If we had had three Matilda films in 10 years, it would have been a bit much. <laughs> like the Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's an animated one. Because I'm not I'm not that protective about it. I think also put there's the, something... Put the Danny DeVito one on. And also, like, when you say, like, remaking a Roald Dahl movie, okay, that and Wonka, name another Danny... Uh, name another Roald Dahl movie that we're getting a lot of yeah uh, ooh, I haven't seen not, uh, no one's remade James and the Giant Peach no they're not too terrified the to do of, it yeah um, that's true actually it's mostly I also think Roald Dahl is being slightly reappraised because like very you know 
exact weird and wonderful childhood stories, he but also said some as very a, unkind. He things did say some very unkind things. Yeah. Yes, and a very a bit of an unsavory character. Yeah. Um, I think I always liked um, yeah. George's marvelous medicine. Oh yes, I yes, loved that yes. One. And um, I liked uh, Danny, the champion of the world. That was it. Danny, yeah, champion of the world. About poaching, yeah, sewing the thing into the razors. Yes, such like weird detail and kettles and things. Mm. I found it very dark. Um, but yeah, um, Hannah, you're, you're the teacher. Tell those kids, listen, I'm putting on the Danny DeVito one. You yeah. shut up. You should just be happy you're getting to watch a, a yeah. video at school. But if the kids like it though, if they, yeah. lo- if they love the yeah, musical you're version. You're teacher, you tell children what they like. Ah, you love Miss, Miss Trunchbull? Yeah. There will be no... There will be no musicals in this class. Yeah, yeah. And then you swing one of the pupils. By and the then one tails. kid's like, can we watch the musical? Just throw them in the chokey. Yeah, the chokey. The chokey from Matilda. I, I don't remember that well. Oh, you know, like uh, Miss Trunchbull, she would take them into the chokey and it was this horrible cupboard with spikes and steam. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. I remember the, all I remember is, not Augustus, the, the, the chocolate cake, the kid mm. being fed, to, made to eat the chocolate cake. What I love about Matilda is that it has this uh, really great sense of the teachers at school are so evil and do things so horrible that no parent would ever believe their child that it's actually true. Oh, right. It's like that idea of like some of my teachers were such fucking assholes in, in class, but on parents' day, they were so charming. Uh, yeah. And I remember just looking at them thinking, you mother... And we yeah. both have this knowing look of yeah. like, I know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And I had to tell my parents, like, that is not what he's like. Yeah. That is not... Do not believe a word. Yeah. And they would be like, oh, no, he's really sweet. And I hated it. But anyway, but, I love some of my teachers. <laughs> um, I don't... I think... Have we answered that question? Is that is that enough? I think so. Um. I, I think it's okay to make new films about classics. It keeps them alive. And also, yeah. And sometimes they just like have to renew the IP or yeah, they lose it. Yeah, that's why they made the Wonka movie. They were like, we haven't made a Charlie the Chocolate Factory movie in that's 20 years. That's why they're not going to stop making Spider-Mens and Fantastic Four because Fox or Paramount, for one of them, is going to have to give it back to Marvel. Yeah. So that's why there are animated Spider-Mens because there's the Tom Holland ones. It just not, it's not going to stop. This next one is from Helena, who says, Hi, James and George. First time emailing into the podcast. I've tried my best to keep this email a reasonable length as I have so much to say about this film. I was very excited to see that you were talking about Saltburn as I had just recently seen it with a group of my friends from uni. Guys, we reviewed Saltburn a couple of weeks ago. Go check that out. I personally found the movie incredibly striking from an aesthetic and cinematic perspective. The colors... Totally. The colours and the camera shots used were beautiful and I found the artistry absolutely stunning, paired with an amazing soundtrack that only elevated this element more. I did, however, find that the first half slash act of the film, which I personally found to be quite comedic, was more enjoyable than the remainder of the film. Mm. After perhaps the first dinner scene on Oliver's first night in Saltburn, the film became much harder to watch. Although this was more than likely intentional, lots of the scenes, such as Oliver's bath scene Mm. and Outside with Venetia, if you know, you know, uh, had me and my friends in complete shock, which was only furthered by the scene on Felix's (laughs) towards the end. Mm. Aside from this, I thought that Jacob Elordi and Barry Keown's performances were truly amazing. Being able to see the characters they were playing and not being able to see through their performances into the actor. I think what this film has achieved through being so unsettling and in many places disturbing is a talking point and has most definitely achieved the desired effect on audiences. It's definitely a film that I will need to revisit in a few weeks' time. I'd love to hear your thoughts on a spoiler cast. Best wishes, Helena. Just the thing on those, the, the shocking moments, it's like, yeah, they're shocking, but I just saw it as such an empty gesture, an empty provocation to be like, I, 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 I was like, I know what you're doing, Emerald Fennell. Yeah. I know what you're doing. Yes, this is shocking in and of itself, but it's not connected to anything. That's what I thought. It doesn't link. And so by the, by, especially towards the end when there's a little bit of more, even more out there stuff, I was just like... Yeah. 
okay, yeah, I guess yeah. I guess that will happen because you just want to shock me with stuff. And then the final scene, I would is like that's what's on offer in the very final final very moment f- where he walks uh, through. I, was, I, like, yeah. I, don't, I, I just you don't even remember it. And people are like, oh yeah, that final scene is so good. I'm, I'm like, just I like, guess whatever. Yeah, it's a music video. Just putting a actor in that position doesn't impress me. Yeah, I was impressed, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't uh, impress me if you know what I mean. That don't impress me much. This next email is from Jake Watson with the email title, Wonka. What did you call me? Hi, James and George. I really enjoyed the latest episode of the podcast. You guys make me laugh. I went to go and see Wonka about a week ago and the screen was heaving with people. Mm. I think only two or three empty seats in the screen. I loved it. I loved the movie so much. I had read a couple of lukewarm things online about it beforehand. And so I had quite small expectations but it blew me away. I think Timothy Chalamet did an awesome job. And to me, he evoked Gene Wilder throughout. Although I understand the criticisms of the character in the movie. Have a good Christmas, Jake. P.S. Hearing you guys talk about Elf and Love Actually, it made me realize I've never watched either. Wow. So I was wondering, are there any sort of big films that you guys haven't watched, Christmas or otherwise? Jake, I mean, are you young? I was wondering, because that's quite a big... Love Actually is a big one to have not seen. Are you a young man, Jake? Are you under the age of 20? Mm, I would say, mm. perhaps. Um, yeah, Wonka uh, doing very well. I saw Guardian gave it five stars on one of their reviews. Yeah, they've always had they always have multiple. I, I, like, well, I don't know what the Guardian. Please do not get for. us wrong, Jake James. Sorry, what's your name, James? <laughs> yeah, hundred seven <laughs> yeah. episodes. This is Jake. Yeah. Um, uh, we we liked Wonka. We did yeah, like yeah, Wonka. I liked we it. just had like a minor criticism. We, we, I think we talked a long time about why it's not greater. Sort of greater, though. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's perfectly charming. And and big films that we haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, we could. That's a whole other episode about our movie blind spots. We did yeah. used to do oh that. If you go to our early early episodes, I think one or two episodes we talk about our movie blind mm. spots. Go see them, which we've kind of filled in a lot of them mm. of. Um, Speaking of Wonka, oh, actually, wait, 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 oh, I will sorry, just say, on. just to answer you one question though. Mm. Christmas big. Are there any big Christmas films I haven't oh, watched? I've not seen Scrooged or National no. Lampoon's Van- Vacation. Oh, no, not National Mupp- Lampoon's Christmas, you know what I mean. Muppet's Christmas Carol, as, as famously. Yeah, I need, to, I need to get fill that in. Uh, speaking of Wonka, friend of the show, Emily writes in, says, hi, James and George. I hope you're having a lovely, cosy December. Mm. I always imagine living in... Lo- oh, we read this. It's her reply. Friend of the show, Emily, writes in with a response to the chocolate... Debate. Debate. Fri- to fridge or not to fridge? George was very much to fridge. I was very much not yeah. to fridge. Five minutes of chocolate and the chemical melting process in the mouth later emily writes in and says hi thanks for reading my email on the pod chocolate to be kept out of the fridge brackets except in a heat wave ketchup in the fridge butter in the fridge but only if it's a spreadable butter otherwise you will mash up your bread m right emily thank you i agree i concur i I have another thing butter keep out of the fridge do not use the spreadable stuff not good for you um, nothing is better than being able to spread good old proper butter in it. Mm, my mum mm. actually, I think it's a bit, of a bit of a gimmick and a gadget, but my mum has one of those little gadget things that you can put butter in it, kind of always keeps it at a spreadable temperature. Uh, that's good. Yeah. We should do Burning a, the planet. We should reason. do a live. I should get two bars of the same chocolate. I'll put one in the fridge a few hours before you turn up, and then we'll do a live tasting I also, of, of the, of the yes, room. Yes, okay, sure. I also, we have a note from now a, a friend of the show, a long time listener. Um, I want to say Johanna, but it might be Johanna. I'm going to lean with mm-hmm. Johanna, mm-hmm. who sent us a very useful screenshot. Um, please correct us on your name, Johanna, if, if that's wrong. But who sent us a very useful screenshot about the, the, when we talked about American chocolate being rank, yeah. right? And um, she sent us a screenshot that says, the perception that American chocolate tastes like sick can be attributed to the presence of butyric acid. Mm. 
In some American chocolate recipes, butyric acid is a compound found in milk products and is also present in rancid butter and vomit, which is why it might evoke a sick taste and association. So American chocolate, some American chocolate contains a compound that is also found in vomit. That's why it tastes rank. I, I have really distinct memories of going to America as a kid. And like really wanting Hershey's kisses because they looked so pretty yeah. and they were a cool shape. But I remember just trying them and sort of convincing myself for like two or three that they were really delicious. But just it, hating it the, turn you, sorry, that's it. Just hating the yeah. flavor of it and being like, this is this this is what I love, but it's wrong. It makes me want to. It does turn me into a Wonka character and be like, this is not chocolate. Yeah. Also, America, like junk food is your thing. Oh yeah, you do like, do it better than anywhere else. You, you do it amazing, and you do like the best crap food, like fast surely, food. You'd, amazing. You would lock in the whole your candy you've got done really well. Like surely you'd lock in Americans chocolate. call chocolate candy as well. Yeah, it's not like its That's own confusing. category. Candy for what would you call candy? A specific type of sweet. Candy to me, I picture pa- packaged sweets. Yeah, sweets. Yeah, but also like candy floss. Yeah. I mean, that's something I really struggle to go near now. Like as a kid, I kind of liked it, but I it's... never got into it, and I'm quite glad. Uh, yeah, and I sort of you sort of retry it later and I'm like no I don't I think it's this. probably as bad for you as eating loft insulation which is what it looks like do you know what the, the only cool the candy floss flavour is average it's just the texture it's, it has a truly unique texture do you know what I will never go near it's oh. when you go to an ice cream parlour and they've yeah. got like bubblegum flavoured ice cream oh, it's like blue no, no, no. you see blue <laughs> bright blue in any food product that's <laughs> not, big red flag not good for you big yeah. red flag yeah. <laughs> yeah. where's that even though, from even though all the other ice cream is probably artificially coloured as well it's like yeah. the blue no not so much guys that's all the emails we've got time for this week as almost as always Thank you so much for sending them in. If you want to send in your email onto the show, you can do by emailing hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. So James, it's that time of the episode where we play some games to finish off. And I've got some games for you this week, Mm -hmm. okay? I've got three rounds for you. The first round is a new game. It's a kind of sort of spin-off, different version, remake of Co-Star Countdown. Okay. What it's going to be is I'm going to name for you two actors and mm-hmm. you have to tell me yes or no whether they've been in a film together Ooh, I like okay that. okay okay i've just got one round for today okay yeah so i all i need is a yes okay. or no answer or true or false okay yes yes maybe yes or no you don't need the film just like yes oh, if you know if you know the film say it okay yeah, but yeah. like if you just think if you think they've been in a film together, and, and gut james go quickly gut. okay oh, oh, really okay quick fire okay okay, okay. James, mm-hmm. tell me yes or no whether these actors have been in a film together. Okay. Three, two, one. Natalie Portman and Michael Fassbender. No. Yes, they have been in a film called Song to Song. Oh. Emma Stone and Kevin Bacon. Oh, I'm going to say no. Yes, they have. Crazy Stupid Love. Oh, damn it. George Clooney and Will Smith. No. No, they no. haven't. Jonah Hill and Ben Stiller. Yes. Yes, The Watch from 2012. Yes. Hugh Grant and Tom Hanks gotta be a no it's incorrect it's a yes it's cloud atlas oh. paul bettany and sean penn paul bettany and sean penn oh uh, uh, no no margot robbie and sebastian stan margot robbie and sebastian stan uh, yes yes i tonya well done yes. killian murphy and stanley tucci oh killian murphy and stanley tucci i'm gonna say no it is no and marlon brando and mike myers 
<laughs> it's got I, I, because I think it's a no. It therefore has to be a yes. No, it's a no. Oh, shit. <laughs> I thought that was a trick. <laughs> no, I just thought who are the most unlikely. I was thinking like, they'd like bring his voice in some sort of animation. Be in the Mike Myers <laughs> yeah. movie. No, um, no, there you go. So that was a quick that. little little. That's actually quite note. hard. That's really hard. I'll do more for the future. Yeah, yeah if you I like. like that. That's fun. That's fun. Which brings us to our next game, mm-hmm. which is a traditional OG. Co-star countdown. Okay, now, you've right. given me several co-star countdowns that have melted my brain. Yes. And I thought I've never actually given you one, okay? Okay, yeah. So in the spirit of the uh, recent films we've talked about, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, James, can you tell me the Timothy Chalamet movie okay. from his co-star okay. in three, two, one, Selena Gomez? Selena Gomez? Quick. Is... In Timothy Chalamet. Rainy Day in New York. Jason Momoa. Uh, June Part One. Michael Stuhlbarg. Uh, Call Me By Your Name. Meryl Streep. Uh, Oh, Meryl Streep and... Timothy Sh- uh, uh, uh Don't Look Up. No, uh, no. Yes, uh, yes actually. Yes, yeah, I was yes. going for Little Women, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Robert Pattinson. Uh, and Timothy Chalamet are both in... The King. Oh. Steve Carell. Steve Carell. Uh, oh, the... Uh, Beautiful boy, Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges um, and Timothy Chalamet. No, go on. Lady Bird. Oh, I don't know that. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) Interstellar. Oh my God, I knew that. Hugh Grant. Uh, Wonka. Christian Bale. Christian Bale with Timothy Chalamet. (laughs) Hostiles. And lastly, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, You've already said it. Sorry, it's t- Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, don't look up. Don't yes. look up. There you go. Well done. It's so hard. <laughs> Everyone forgets he's in Interstellar. You totally because he's really young. It's in pre, it. small, pre small role. And yeah. also, uh, the Christian Bale movie is called Hostiles, Hostiles and it's very yeah. funny because that movie came out post just like two, three months after Call Me By Your Name and when Timothy Chalamet yeah. blew up, and he has a tiny role in it. And you, wa- I remember going now. to the cinema and see it, and I was like, that's. From Call Me By Your Name. And then he's, he's not in it anymore. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, and with a lot of others. The Meryl Streep one, you corrected me on that. Fair Just play. listening back to that, he's really shopped around in different genres, which I appreciate. Yes. We've got uh, do bone, comedy, bones well, sci-fi. Yes. I was, oh, yes, Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. That would have been Someone a good one. Someone even more niche. But yeah, he does, um, he does like mix it up. Sully. I think I think I like him. Uh, it's interesting, sort of the leading man role, like the, the action hero in Dune. Mm. The sort of charming well, he's meant Wonka. to be the unlikely. Paul Atreides is an unlikely hero, isn't he? That's the whole yeah. point. It is that I obviously Dune two we've not seen yet, but the whole arc of it is very much a hero's journey, and like Zendaya being this like spiritual awakening who he goes into the mystic desert to find an unleashed power that's also powered by love and sex. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I saw it. They went, was it uh, South America or Brazil? In this huge convention center and people were going mad mm. for Austin yeah, so Bartlett. someone Bartlers threw something Day. at Florence Pugh. It was like crazy Bruh. town. It's like, Gene was great, but I don't know if I'm like, I don't have like a fan f- fanaticism about Gene. I'm really excited to see part two. This is great, James, but you're de- deterring from our, <laughs> sorry, from sorry, our final game. of, yeah, the, of sorry, the, sorry, sorry, sorry. This is going to be a name seven and 30. Yes. So I'm going to get my... Stopwatch up. James, in 30 seconds, name seven movie trilogies, one per franchise. Go. 
Wait, sorry. Movie, tr- movie trilogies. Name a movie trilogy. All right, Star Wars. Tr- uh, the first trilogy one per fra- one per franchise. Okay, do this again. Trilogy. Three, two, right, James. In thirty seconds. Okay, James. In thirty seconds, name seven they, movie trilogies. Okay, no, can they have it? more than that though? What do you mean? Can, like, if they have a fourth movie, does that not count? No, that that's fine. Okay, fine. In thirty seconds, name seven movie trilogies, one per franchise. Go. Okay, Back to the Future trilogy. Yes. Terminator trilogy. Sure. Uh, Alien trilogy. Sure. Kind of a uh, Star Wars. Which one? Uh, the, the original trilogy. Um, you could do mm, mm, Shrek. <laughs> oh, maybe this is bad. You should actually give well, me the actual trilogies. Know, but... All right, start again. James, in 30 seconds, give me seven movie trilogies. Actually, trilogies, not... James, in 30 seconds, give me seven movie trilogies, one per franchise, go. Okay, Back to the Future, Star Wars original trilogy. You've got... Um, other trilogies, no more than four. They keep remaking next more films. Um, shush. <laughs> Fifteen seconds. Oh, God, the four films. Uh, Toy Story doesn't count. Not anymore. Um, fuck. It's quite a few actually. The got two. other trilogies. Oh, you're going to kick yourself. Oh, this is so annoying. <laughs> All I'm thinking of is ones with like twelve films in them. Oh, oh James. damn it! That's terrible. Okay, first of all, Lord of the Rings. Oh, I already said that. Lord, Lord of the Rings, um, the Dark Knight trilogy, um, the Oceans trilogy, because Oceans Eight I would count as a spin-off, not as, not part of the same. But it's, it's original it's, trilogy. Reference George Clooney though. Okay, fine. Okay, the Spider Man, th- Sam Raimi Spider Man yeah, trilogy. Yeah. Um, the War for the Planet of the Apes, the Dawn of the Planet yes. of the Apes, that one trilogy. The Before trilogy. Yeah. Um, uh, you could have done. You did. You did. Well done. You did. Uh, Back to the Future, but you're right. Things like no, Rush Hour, <laughs> you could go for the Rush Hour trilogy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. things like things that were once great trilogies, have, well, not great trilogies, but things that were trilogies have now been removed. Like uh, Godfather, uh, Godfather, you could yeah. done for a trilogy. But um, no, I meant like The Matrix, no longer a trilogy. Yeah, um, you're right. Oceans, no longer a trilogy. X Men was a trilogy, no longer. So what was uh, the other tough one? fourth film that came out when Matrix came out? The other fourth film. Do you remember there was a fourth reboot, the fourth film? Did I make that up? You made that up. I think it came out at the same same time as uh, Uh, No Way Home. Tom Holland's Spider-Man trilogy, the Homecoming trilogy. Sure. Yeah, if you want to... That's within a bigger franchise. uh, Yeah, I don't know if I'd count Mm. that as a trilogy. Mm. Captain America trilogy. You got there in the end to do that game. I was You really really took a while to learn that. Um, But I I didn't want to give you... I only said one per franchise because obviously with Star Wars you you cleaned up and you could have done Hobbit as well as Lord of the Rings. So I didn't want you to do that. Yes, yes, true, 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 true. There you go. And oh, the Edgar Wright trilogy. Oh yeah, Cornetto trilogy, yeah. yeah. Those were- Do like, it, are, are they like, they're, they're thematically a trilogy? Are they? Uh, they, I'll allow the thematic trilogy because also yeah. like the Three Colors trilogy I would have also accepted. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there is the games. There are the games for today, James. Guys, you thank did, you okay. so much for spending your time with us. This We're not doing the year yet because we've got the Pop Kitchen Awards next, next week. Next week is the full review of 2023. The second annual. Yes, it's a, it's a glitzy affair. Are you going? Yeah. Have you got your tickets? I heard Margot Robbie is going. She will be here. Margot Robbie And I tell you what, you'll just have to tune in to find I out. I know you're thinking coming. like, Margot Robbie? And yeah. Paul, they're not that. At James's she's, flat? She has Bob. been DMing yeah, us all coming. the time. She's going right here. Yeah. Um, so. Thank you. And most importantly, everyone, have a great oh, Christmas Christ break. Christmas Whether you celebrate it or otherwise, just enjoy the break. Give yourself mm. some time. Give yourself some R&R. It's been a long year. It's been a dark winter. Mm. We've got many exciting things coming ahead for 2024. So just A up, enjoy I'd your Christmas. I'd love to hear what you get up to, what you watched. Yes. If you, if you did, anything you didn't think you were going to watch, but you did watch. Any great telly on that you, mm. that you really get Christmas content. Mm. We'd love to We'd love to know what you guys got up to. But as always, guys, don't forget, we post new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. That's right. And... 
as I say every week, but I do mean it, please continue to engage and follow us on Instagram and TikTok. We post fun things like screenings we go to and premieres we go to. Yeah. You should go and see how close I was to Emma Stone. You was really close to Emma Stone. I, she knew me. She knows me now. She looked, she looked, she's like- She did. She was like, guy. that's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> and should do a co-star countdown for her just to get her attention. Oh my goodness, yes. There's no way she doesn't see that shit. Yeah, she's watching us all the time. But continue to like, subscribe, engage, comment, share. We really appreciate it. And uh, it helps us to grow. And we have grown the show so much this year. Thanks to you guys. It's been great. Exciting things in the new year, guys. It's not the new year show. I don't know why. No, that's next week. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye. I play like bells. Oh, say bells. So I put bells underneath our tune. So give it a little. (laughs)